Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. So have you ever found yourself reading about or meeting someone who invented something and has become incredibly successful and you were thinking to yourself, man, why, why didn't I have the smarts to come up with that idea? Well, here's a true confession. That happens to me almost daily. In fact, just a few days ago, I got an invitation from a young friend of mine who... Uh, with his wife, has developed an app that uh, focuses on prayer, meditation, and mindfulness. And um, they invited me to help beta test the app. And um, I was thinking to myself as I watched and listened, uh, why didn't I think of that? So this is something that happens to me all the time. And here's, here's what I remember uh, these famous words from Act 1 in Scene 3 of Shakespeare's Hamlet. And uh, in that, Polonius, uh, King Claudius's chief minister, is giving counsel to his young son who's going off to university. And he's giving him counsel on how to live and behave honorably. Now, a lot of the counsel he's given has become... Um, uh, popular in today's language and verbiage, and he specifically said these words as he dutifully reminded us, this above all else, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Essentially, Polonius is reminding us uh, dutifully that Character and integrity are the most valuable currency we possess. He'd given his son all of this counsel, different things, and then he rounds it up by saying, above all else, to thine own self be true. Because if you are true to yourself, it must follow in the same way that the night follows the day, that you then cannot be false to any man. So again, I emphasize, character and integrity are the most valuable currency we possess. You see, talent, skill, and knowledge will only take you so far. In fact, I heard recently uh, from a, a pastor friend of mine an illustration that he gave that I found uh, as a perfect corollary, corollary, I can say the word, I promise you, a perfect corollary to this uh, um, idea of character and integrity. And in the illustration, he said, assume that your talent, skill, and knowledge are a five-gallon bucket. That's what represents your capacity. But there's a hole in the bucket at the two-gallon mark. Well, that hole will ensure that that bucket never gets filled to five gallons. Even though it is a five-gallon bucket, it will only ever get filled up to two gallons, and then as you continue to put water into it, all the water will leak out. Essentially, what we're saying here is that you will never fulfill your capacity on just talent, skill, and knowledge alone. You require character and integrity, because while uh, talent, skill, and knowledge may be the five-gallon bucket... Or while uh, your, your, your 
capacity, so to speak, is the five-gallon bucket, what God has called you to do, what your abilities are. Um, your lack of character and integrity are the whole at the two-gallon mark. The problem, though, is that peer pressure and the need to be seen as relevant and successful, and this happens often in ministry, especially if you look at the spate of recent pastors falling into sin. Uh, it's a graveyard of pastors falling into sin and leaving the pulpit. And as I was saying, the problem is that peer pressure, the need to be seen as relevant and successful, often drives us as leaders, as pastors, to hone these qualities of talent, skill, and knowledge because they are the most visible. So when people see a great preacher or a person with um, uh, uh, charisma or certain talents and skills, um, we compliment those people, we talk highly about those people, we elevate them because these are the most visible traits. Whereas the traits of character and integrity are less visible. So I say it like this. I'm less eloquent. So I say doing, which represents achievement, would appear to be more important than becoming, which represents integrity and character. So doing would appear to be more important in these days than becoming, at least in the eyes of our secular world. And if you don't believe me, think about the fact that we have a phrase, the end justifies the means. <laughs> That's proof right there. Because what that is saying is that as long as you accomplish the goal, how you get there is less important. So if you cheat and rob and use your talent, skill, and knowledge over character and integrity, but you accomplish the goal, hey, it's all good. I would beg to disagree and say that in God's eyes, becoming, not doing, becoming is what leads to actually doing effectively. And this is why integrity and character matter so much to God. But I'm aware that the rewards of character and integrity aren't often seen immediately. And in a fast food culture where everything must happen now, that's not as appealing in fact, uh, people who stick to their guns about upholding character and integrity are often said to be average Joes whose inability to recognize and embrace reality puts them at a significant disadvantage. We tend to um, label those people as overly judgmental, highly critical, overly religious. We have all kinds of labels that we put on those people to minimize their value and importance, their average Joes. But I would ask the question, who is the real average Joe? Is it the one who compromises integrity and character for accolade and position that's built on their talent, skill, and knowledge? Or is it the one who accepts that an unwillingness to compromise their integrity always comes at a cost? Which one is the average Joe? You see, one way of interpreting the statement, you're just an average Joe, is interpreting it as a statement of essence. In, in other words, a, a statement speaking directly to who you actually are at the core of your being. And that statement would imply that you're cut from an average cloth. But the scriptures disagree with that. The scriptures actually dispense very quickly with that erroneous claim 
by declaring boldly in Psalm 139, I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. So clearly then, it's not, uh, average Joe cannot speak to the essence, the being of a person. So the second interpretation is where I tend to lean, and it's the difference though, while the interpretation is subtly different, it is significantly different. Because it doesn't speak to your being, it speaks to your character. It suggests that you have chosen the path of least resistance, as opposed to aspiring to the greatness that lies within your reach. And the painful reality, friends, is that we will find ourselves defined by the average if we don't choose to defy the odds and swim upstream. And the odds are that you and I will, like the majority, fall at the average if we don't choose to swim upstream. That's actually why it's called the average, because it's where most of us live. So to be above average demands a choice. It requires that we defy the odds. Now, you and I have no control over whether we've been endowed with above average talent, above average intelligence, or even above average physical attributes. We have no control over that. But what we can control is whether we choose to live our lives defined and determined by the status quo. You see, because even when the so-called law of averages works against you, you and I can still defy the odds. In fact, my friend and fellow pastor Erwin McManus says it like this in his book, The Last Arrow. Although I have no control over whatever talent has been placed inside of me, no control over the level of my intelligence, or whatever other advantages or disadvantages my genetic composition might have brought me, I will take absolute control over my personal responsibility to develop and maximize whatever potential God has given me for the good of others. But I'd say don't take mine or Irwin's words for it. Let's listen in on the lives of a few great people who focused on becoming rather than doing. Let's begin with Nelson Mandela, who lived from 1918 to 2013. You see, Mandela worked very hard to become a lawyer in spite of the South African apartheid system that obtained at the time, making the accomplishment of becoming a lawyer as a black man near impossible. And against all odds, Nelson Mandela was able to practice law, and in doing so, he helped many black South Africans to survive in the apartheid system. And when he was ultimately sent to jail for his opposition to apartheid in the 1960s, there seemed to be no end in sight to this all-powerful apartheid system of South Africa. But again, against all the odds, Mandela ended up playing a critical role in bringing about the end of apartheid and the first truly democratic elections in South Africa elected him as the first black president. So think about that. Becoming, not doing. What about Winston Churchill? He lived from 1874 to 1965. And in 1940, Britain stood alone in Europe against, all the, the, against the all-conquering Nazi war machine. And after Hitler's troops had swept all the nations before them, 
the invasion of Britain looked imminent. I mean, they were poised right there in France. And there were several leading voices among the British politicians who advocated suing for peace. Peace like the Vichy France uh, peace, which uh, Marshal Philippe um, Pétain, who was the leader of the Vichy government, uh, instituted. And basically, uh, we don't have time to go into the history of that, but basically what they did was they capitulated and basically gave France over to the Germans, and they began to kick out Jews, and they created this new government, this new system, this new Vichy nation, if you like, uh, to replace France, and gave France over to the Nazis. But that's another story for another day. But this is what the British uh, leadership and politicians were advocating. But Churchill inspired the nation to fight on and achieve total victory, whatever the cost. And five years later, British troops took part in the Allied landings in Normandy, and over a year later completed the liberation of Europe. Not just preventing the Nazis from taking over Britain, but they liberated Europe. Now, Winston Churchill has been named the greatest Britain of all time in a 2002 poll, even though the Queen is alive. He's among the most influential people in British history and consistently ranks among the highest in opinion polls of prime ministers of the United Kingdom. Becoming, not doing. How about Mahatma Gandhi, 1869 to 1948? And think about that. If you were born in 1948, you're 74 years old, which means Mahatma Gandhi has been dead for 74 years, yet his name still rings out loud in the annals of history. And why? Because he was known for his nonviolent protests against the British domination of India. And Gandhi was put into jail several times. Militarily, India could not hope to defeat the British Empire. But through his policy of ahimsa, and and in the Hindu and Buddhist tradition, this represents respect for all living things and the avoidance of violence toward others. In that policy, he awoke the spirit of fellow Indians and helped to create a climate for Indian independence, which came in 1947, a year before his death. And it is that same principle of ahimsa, though it's not called that, that Martin Luther King Jr. adopted, even in the fight against racism in America. Finally, let's look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She lived from 1910 to 1997. She was born in Skopje, um, uh, which is now, today, the capital of North Macedonia. And she lived there for 18 years. Many of you, I bet, didn't know that she was Albanian. You probably thought she was from India, but she wasn't. She was Albanian. And she lived in Skopje for 18 years and then moved to Ireland and then moved on to India, where she lived out most of the rest of her life. And in 1950, this famous woman, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who wasn't famous, founded the Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic religious congregation that had over 4,500 nuns and was active in 133 countries as of 2012. I don't know what the current stats are, but um, these are the stats I got. So this charity, this Missionaries of Charity, manages homes for people who are dying of HIV or AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis, 
It runs soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, children's and family counseling programs, as well as orphanages and schools. And the members of this Missionaries of Charity take vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. They would be considered average Joes. I mean, who wants to live poor? But they actually take vows to live in poverty. And then they also profess a fourth vow to give, and I quote, wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. Becoming, not doing. She was actually sainted by the Catholic Church. But conversely, when doing takes precedence over becoming, the resultant effects and the legacy that is left are significantly different. So I'm going to look at two examples as I bring this to a close. Let's start with a gentleman known as Hugh Marston Hefner, famously known as Hugh Hefner, lived from 1926 to 2017. And what I'm about to share with you is called from Wikipedia. It says that Hugh Hefner was an American businessman, magazine publisher, and playboy. His legacy is seen in a documentary titled Hugh Hefner, Playboy, Activist, and Rebel. He was the editor-in-chief of Playboy magazine, which he founded in 1953, a magazine which was uh, designed to expose women's naked bodies. He was also the chief creative officer of Playboy Enterprises, which is the publishing group that operates the magazine. An advocate of sexual liberation and freedom of expression, Hefner was a political activist and philanthropist in several other causes and public issues. Now, that is insane. That is a footnote, an addendum to who the man was. They simply add at the end, he was a political activist and philanthropist in several other causes and public issues. No need to mention what those are because the real legacy and focus of Hugh Hefner was that he was a playboy and a rebel who created Playboy magazine. That's what Hugh Hefner will be remembered for in the annals of history. How about Dr. Tom Price? Uh, you've probably never heard of him unless you follow politics closely. In fact, he's the only one on this list of people I've just spoken about into whose lives we've listened. He was born in 1954 and he's the only one who's still alive. So there is no end date. And, uh, he actually, if you didn't know who he was or who he is, he is the embattled Health and Human Services Secretary under the um, Trump regime. And according to Wikipedia, he resigned amid an uproar over his use of private and military jets at taxpayer expenses while heading one of the U.S.'s largest government agencies. He served in his position for exactly seven months and 19 days, from February 10th, 2017, to September 29th, 2017. And prior to holding his position with the HHS, he was the chairman of the House Budget Committee as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Think about that, chairman of the House Budget Committee. But when he became the secretary to the Health and Human Services, one of the largest parastatals, he was 
squandering government money for his own private and personal use. But he headed up the budget committee as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. So note this. Tom Price now is remembered for all of these issues. Not for the fact that he was a medical doctor. Not for his talent, skill, and knowledge. Because those things were never in question. But he's remembered for his lack of character and integrity. And here's a direct quote about his short stint as the Health and Human Services Secretary. Price quit after it was revealed by Politico that he took more than two dozen private flights at taxpayer expense as well as trips to Europe, Africa, and Asia on military aircraft at a total cost of more than $1 million in seven months. The HHS Department's Office of Inspector General launched an investigation, as did Congress. So his own ministry that he headed up, that he was secretary for, launched an investigation into his conduct. You see, Price was the first cabinet secretary to leave the administration. So let's find a parallel in the scripture as we close this that illustrates this truth about talent and knowledge versus character and integrity. In the book of Genesis chapter 32, we're told the story of Jacob, and I want to read just a few verses. Jacob's brother Esau is hunting for him, and he knows that he's going to kill him. But Jacob has really had an encounter, so listen to this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Okay, let's protect my wife, my sons, and my possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So here are a few thoughts. First, his name was Jacob. Jacob means deceiver, trickster, which was the manner of life that he lived. And then he wrestles with an angel, which is symbolic of the struggle and the battle that Jacob has had all his life, the struggle of character and integrity. There's no doubt as to his talent and his skill. Heck, his brother sold him his birthright for a mess of pottage that he cooked. He certainly had talent and skill. 
But he was so lacking in character that his name depicted that fact, that he was a deceiver right from his mother's womb as he came out of the womb. But then, having wrestled with God, his name is changed to Israel, which means he will rule like God. So his character and integrity are now forefront in the way that he will live his life. And then he names the place where he wrestles, Peniel, which means face or light of God. So here's Jacob seeing the face of God. And now he has been transformed from a man who relies on skill, talent, and knowledge to a man who relies on character and integrity. So I'll close by asking this question once more. Who's the average Joe? Well, that's easy. He's the one that walks without a limp because he's yet to be broken. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Open Spaces podcast. Podcast.